Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Well, good morning and welcome to Church Online. It's so great to have you here. Uh, I'm Pastor Matt Friend, senior pastor here at Bible Center, and I wanna thank you. Uh, Take a minute just to say thanks for joining us wherever you are in your living room, in your kitchen, in your bedroom, wherever you are. Thank you for uh, going to Church Online with us. Um, This is not, of course, ideal for most of us. There's something about meeting together uh, as the people of God, as the church has done for 2,000 years. And so I've always enjoyed being together with the people of God. But in this season, uh, our elders believe that it's best. We believe that it's best to love our church well. Uh, Those who are the most at risk for this virus, it's best to love our city well. Uh, We've even received some news over the last 48 hours about our city and this uh, pause in place movement. And so we wanna honor that. We wanna honor our city and making sure that we help do our part as a church uh, to love it well. But we also wanna honor our leaders leaders well, our national leaders, our state leaders, our local leaders. And so uh, this has presented itself with a lot of change for us. Uh, This is new for me. It's new for many of us at Bible Center. And uh, we're going to continue to get better week after week. And so uh, we're learning. I know I'm learning. This morning I was leaving the house and my son asked me why I I needed to get a shower before I left. He wanted to play some more Minecraft. And I said, well, Caden, I'd love to play more, but I got to get a shower. And he says, Dad, don't worry about a shower. Uh, you're going to be on camera. Nobody can smell how stinky you are. And so hopefully you can't smell how stinky I am, uh, but we're still glad you've joined us online and we're going to learn as we go along. Several of you have reached out this week and asked how long we think we might need to do this. And of course, the answer is none of us know. Nobody knows. Um, Hopefully it won't be uh, very long at all. But of course, we don't know the mind of the Lord. But I promise you, our staff, our pastors, our elder board, we are monitoring it week after week and will continue to communicate. Our goal is to over communicate uh, through this season. And so typically we try not to have any more than say, Uh, one email a week or maybe two emails a week to you, but we're gonna try to bombard you, your inbox, so you know what's going on. And then of course, uh, we can dial that back in the future. But I wanted to open this morning in prayer. So wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, wherever you're uh, watching, will you just join me in prayer, in the spirit of prayer, and let's ask the Lord to bless this time together uh, around his word. I wanted to particularly pray uh, through Psalm 46. So will you join me in prayer together? Lord, thank you for being our God. Thank you for being our father. And Lord, you're our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Lord, help us not to fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall in the heart of the sea, Lord, help us to remember there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. You are within her and you will not fail. Nations are in uproar, God. They're in uproar. Our nation is in uproar. Civilization seems to be grinding to a halt around us. Kingdoms fall, but Lord, you, our almighty, are with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
Lord, help us in this season to be still and know that you are God, that you will be exalted among the nations, that you will be exalted in the earth. Help us to remember wherever we are that the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress and amen. As we jump in this morning, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about Christian responses. What is the Christian response to the coronavirus pandemic? But I thought we could take a second and just look at different responses uh, of people. We have some pictures, we have some actual footage of people in our community who are responding in different ways uh, to the coronavirus pandemic. Here's one response. Uh, This fellow, we got a picture of him this week. Maybe you've seen him around this week. There's one response to the coronavirus pandemic. Here's another response. This guy, Sasquatch, taking a picture. He's practiced social distancing for years. Uh, Here's another response. Uh, This is my favorite of all. I can can totally appreciate this guy. Uh, Me after I eat all of my quarantine snacks in one night. There's a multitude of different responses to this pandemic. Um, Maybe you've experienced something different than a family member, something different than a neighbor. Whatever your response is, my goal in this message is to show what Jesus is inviting us to do. And so I want this message to apply to all of us, whether you be a student, uh, whether you be a grandpa, uh, whether you be in your, your midlife years, whether you're a young professional, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a doctor, or a teacher, uh, whatever you do and whoever you may be, my prayer is that this message would tug at your heart Even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I prayed for you this morning and asked the Lord to open your heart, but also encourage you with his word and show you the pathway of hope. And so let's dive in. Last week, we saw the five ways that we shouldn't respond, uh, but this morning we're gonna see the five ways that Jesus invites us to respond. What are those five ways? Number one, Jesus invites us to respond by modeling the gospel, frequently checking in with and caring for those who are worried, sick, or in need. Modeling the gospel, frequently checking in with and caring for those who are worried, sick, or are in need. Earlier in the week, Pastor John had our staff meet together actually on Monday and we were all spread out in a big room to make sure we had our space. But he asked us, what do you think the people in our church are feeling right now? What do you think the people in our community are feeling? And here are some of the the adjectives, some of the emotions that we wrote down and he put up on the whiteboard. People are confused, afraid, they're trapped, they're helpless. There's this sense of a loss of control isolated, bored, anxious, depressed. Uh, There's a sense of loss, maybe a loss of hope or a loss of freedom. There's a certain guilt that comes when we begin to have time to think through our lives and think through some of our past decisions. There's an unhealthy sense of responsibility. People are frustrated, they're skeptical. Uh, There's a feeling of being unprepared or a temptation to escapism or to be angry. And so we we ask ourselves this morning, how do we combat those emotions or how do we embrace those emotions and still take them to Jesus? What does Jesus invite us to do? And I'm convinced that love is the only thing that can dispel fear. 
According to 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. Mark 12, 30 and 31 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second command is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in the next few minutes, I wanna share some different ways that the church has loved our neighbor, ways that we've loved our neighbor in the past and ways that we're gonna continue to love our neighbor in the future. There's a book I wanna recommend that I think would be helpful for you to read during this time of quarantine. And that book is by Rodney Stark. It's called The Rise of Christianity, How the Obscure Marginal Jesus Movement Became the Dominant Religious Force in the West. Western world. This is hands down my favorite book explaining how Christianity took off in the first few hundred years after Jesus. At the time of this book's writing, Rodney Stark was not a believer. And so he's writing, trying to write objectively as he can, looking at history and saying, what was it about the early church that caused people to be attracted to Jesus and be attracted to them? In the third century, there was the plague of Cyprian. It was a lethal pandemic that caused over 5,000 deaths per day in Rome. And while the plague severely weakened the Roman empire, the Christian response was completely different than the non-Christian response. And one writer, one pastor, the bishop Dionysius writes this, at the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest. This is talking about unbelievers here, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treating unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. So he's talking about the response of unbelievers. And then he comes back with the response of believers. And he says this about Christians. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them, they departed this life serenely happy for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing and caring for others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Think of that. A century later, less than 100 years later, the Emperor Julian was trying to, after the plague, trying to create a, a sect or a cult or a division of Romans that can match the care and compassion of the Christians. He was determined to, to stifle the spread of Christianity that had spread like wildfire during the plague because of their love and care. And so as hard as he tried, Stark records for us, Rodney Stark says, as hard as he tried, he couldn't get a group to match the compassion of Christians. He blamed the recent growth of Christianity in a letter in 362 AD 
on the Christian's benevolence to strangers. And in a letter, he wrote this. It is a disgrace that the Galileans, that's what he called Christians, the Galileans, those who followed Jesus, the Galilean. He says, it is a disgrace that they support not only their poor, but ours as well, ours as well. The plague has continued to affect uh, people throughout the centuries. From the 14th century on in medieval Europe, you have uh, the plague affecting uh, communities like Wittenberg where Martin Luther and his wife lived. Many were fleeing the cities, but Martin Luther and his wife in 1527, even though she was pregnant, they determined to stay in the city and make sure people were receiving proper care. This is what they wrote using Matthew 25 as their guide. Luther said, we must respect the word of Christ where he said, I was sick and you did not visit me. According to this passage, we are bound to each other in such a way that no one may forsake the other in his distress, but we are obligated to assist and help others like they would like to be helped. We are here alone with the deacons but Christ is present too, that we may not be alone. Jesus will triumph in us over all that is under that old serpent murderer, author of sin, the one who was bruised under Christ's heel, the devil himself. He said, pray for us, farewell. Thankfully, they lived, they survived. But they later continued to write about the importance of being there when your city is in crisis. And then one more illustration from Stark's book that I've got to read. It's about the 1850s in the city of London. Uh, the city of London was one of the largest cities, if not the largest city in the world uh, in the 1850s. But in 1854, a plague hit London, England. It was the cholera plague. And there was a young pastor named Charles Spurgeon who was only about 20 years old. And as he arrives to his church and finds the city in shambles, he would later write about the sensitivity to people's spiritual needs during a time of crisis. And he said this, if there ever be a time when the mind is sensitive, it is when death abounds. I recollect that when I first came to London, how anxiously people listened to the gospel for cholera was raging terribly. There was little scoffing of the gospel then. And he tells a story of someone that he had tried to witness to prior to uh, the plague. But he said that the man dying of the plague, this is how he describes him. That man in his lifetime, had been wont to jeer at me, but in strong language, he had often denounced me as a hypocrite. But in the plague, he was no sooner smitten by the darts of death than he sought my presence and counsel, no doubt feeling his heart that I was a servant of God, though he did not care to own it with his own lips. Now let's ask the question, is it okay for us is it okay for us as Christians to, to, to prepare for the future? 
Is it okay for us to stockpile? Is it okay for us to, to put some things back, to prepare? And of course, absolutely it is. That's for a whole nother sermon. But the book of Proverbs is filled with examples of how believers, followers of Jesus are, are called to prepare for the future. Uh, last night, my wife and I went to Lowe's and we bought a refrigerator to put in our garage. Uh, I quickly learned that we didn't have enough fr- refrigerator space or enough freezer space. And so for all my expeditions at the supermarkets this week, I realized that we're gonna need to put some things back. Uh, we hadn't lived that way prior to now, but we're gonna start living that way. And so of course, there's wisdom that we practice. I wash my hands. I would encourage you and our children to continue washing their hands. But let's also remember that Mother Teresa didn't get the reputation for loving like Jesus by hoarding all of her supplies. Christians in the first, second, and third centuries didn't impact the world by simply hoarding everything that they could and hiding from the world. But Christians were notorious for giving of themselves and sharing of themselves. And I believe as believers, we can do both and we must do both during this crisis. God is inviting us to love people modeling the gospel, frequently checking in and caring for those who are worried or are sick or in need. Let me encourage you this week. If you know somebody who um, maybe is elderly, someone who is, has preexisting conditions, call them regularly. If your parents are still living, call your parents regularly. I love the people around you. Maybe it's a text every day, or maybe it's an email often, off and on, but let's check on the people in our lives. Let's lead our children to serve. Couples without kids have a, a unique freedom to serve during this time. Singles can serve. People of all ages can serve. Let's serve our first responders. I read an article this week that compared our first, responder, first responders of this epidemic, maybe uh, more our nurses and our doctors and our healthcare professionals. Um, just like we honored the first responders, the policemen and the fire, de- uh, the, 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 the fire departments and et cetera, back during 9-11. We can love these people who are running in when the rest of us are running out. And one final way that we can love our community, I haven't thought of it until this week, but we can actually spend our money in an act of love. If you know somebody who has a small business and you know they're gonna be hurt by this, if there's a way for them to continue to keep business open, maybe remotely, uh, maybe you buy gift cards from their business, maybe you order food for takeout from their restaurant, but let's model the gospel by the way we love people like Jesus. Number two, how does Jesus invite us to respond in this pandemic? Well, number two, by finding creative ways to gather online or in smaller groups to listen to God, learn his word, encourage one another, pray, give, and worship. We wanna find creative ways to do these things. Now, I wanna stop and just kind of ask you to think with me for a minute. Have you ever stopped to think, what is it that Jesus really requires of the New Testament church? 
What is it that he really wants us to be doing as a church? Now, we have our traditions and we have our habits and we know what many of us have been doing for, for decades, but what is Jesus specifically inviting the church to do or inviting the church to be? You know, I think in this season, there's a unique opportunity for us to step back and really evaluate what are we doing because the Bible tells us to do it? And then what are we doing because that really is the way Christ wants his church uh, to operate? It's kind of like the little girl at Christmas, uh, I guess, was handed a pile of manure. Whether this story is true or not, I have no idea, but it's a good story. She was handed a pile of manure for Christmas, and you would think a little girl wouldn't like a pile of manure, but she was excited because she said there must be a pony around here somewhere. In this season, what is the pony? What is it that God is going to do that's good in the life of the church and in the life of of each Christian. Well, our mission hasn't changed in this season. Our mission is still to glorify God by producing more maturing followers of Jesus. Our mission can't change. It can't change. But what about our methods? What are the methods that God has called us to, to fulfill this mission by? We see them in Acts chapter two. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, the words are gonna be here on the screen as well. Acts chapter two, verse 41. Think with me. Those who accepted his message were baptized. This is the first church. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So Acts chapter two gives us our methods. So our mission doesn't change. And I would propose that even our methods shouldn't change. Our mission doesn't change and different people word this different ways, but I would propose that even our methods not change. So we're still gonna be a church who prays, a church who praises, a, we're gonna be a church who gathers together and fellowship and studies the word. So our methods aren't gonna change. So what is it that needs to change? The way I like to say it is our, the means by which we accomplish our mission and our methods must change. The means by which we accomplish our mission and our methods must change. So let's go back to Acts 2 and let's look at the different methods and let's see how we can do them perhaps in this season as a church in different ways. So those who were accepted his message, that's the gospel message, were baptized. Now, when it comes to baptisms, we've moved our baptisms till the summer. If we're still in this situation in the summer and I pray to God that we're not, we'll find creative ways uh, to do our baptisms, most likely outdoors while it's warm. Uh, but even if we're able to gather together as a church again, hopefully sooner than later, uh, we're gonna do a series of baptism classes in the spring and go out to the river or go out to the Kinders Creek again and enjoy uh, hopefully many, many of our outdoor baptisms. So there's nowhere in the Bible that says we've got to do it here in the church building. 
So we're, we're still doing the same method, but it's a little different means. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Think of all the creative ways that we can do teaching. We're doing a creative way right now. We're practicing innovative teaching. You're watching it on your phone or your iPad or your TV through YouTube or Facebook. And the purpose for this is so that you can stay connected. We want you to stay connected as a church. Certainly it's not ideal, but it is a way to stay connected. Uh, this morning, this past week, we, uh, Stephen Van Horn and his team have worked so hard to prepare us. Now you can go to BibleCenterChurch.com and just simply click Church Online. And from here on out, by God's grace, we're gonna have campus hosts and pastors and shepherds available to interact with you uh, through that portal. We do the same thing at YouTube Live and Facebook Live. It's a way that we want to connect with you and help answer questions as we go along. Our elders this past week were, were talking about adding, what's it look like for us soon to add a, an online pastor? How can we do that with the current staff that we have? Not just hosting our services, but leading this movement of interaction and discipleship throughout the week. Pray with us about that. So the method isn't gonna change. We're still gonna teach God's word, but right now the means must change because there's no one in these seats. Teaching and fellowship. Think about the different ways we can do fellowship as a church in this season. Uh, Pastor Mike has been working hard on these Zoom conferences. Uh, you can go and see it on our uh, online bulletin, again, on the homepage of our website. It's right there on our app. Ways for you to connect for free up to 100 people through Zoom. You're gonna wanna check it out. Pastor Mike will be saying more about it this week. We want you to connect together. Maybe it's just FaceTime. Maybe it's just using the FaceTime app on your phone. Uh, my children love the FaceTime app, especially when my daughters were younger. Uh, now my son, he almost every night will, will call his grandma on the FaceTime app and make all kinds of silly faces just to connect. And I, I love to sit back and watch him laugh and listen to her laugh. Uh, that's one way. Another way we can connect during this season. We wish everybody could still be together in the building. Uh, but in the last 24 hours, even our city has made the decision about the, the, pause, uh, the pause in place. And so we believe that we need to be good stewards in our city to love our people well. And so whatever group you're a part of, creatively look for ways to get together digitally, or if you are gonna get together, make sure it's in extremely small groups and everybody takes precautions. Then there's breaking of bread. Right now we're talking about creative ways for us to do communion digitally. How can you take communion in your home Wow, I take communion and lead in communion here. How can our groups take communion together? Uh, these are all the things we're thinking through at the moment, things that I've not had to think through in my lifetime so far, the breaking of bread and in prayer. Uh, this past week, we've seen several initiatives about prayer emerge. Uh, one of our groups just out of the blue said, we're gonna do 24 hours of prayer. And they, they didn't give me an option. They said, Pastor Matt, which hour do you wanna take? Which hour do you wanna take? And I loved that. And so you can do that in your groups and we'll be doing that corporately uh, this week, be watching more for prayer. And then Acts 2 continues. Everybody was filled with awe at the signs and wonders 
Uh, I don't have the power. I'm not an apostle to do the same kind of signs and wonders that, that Jesus did, that the apostle Paul did. But I believe you and me with the spirit of God within us can do even greater works uh, by doing good works in our communities, good works in our cities. And so much of what we're seeing with, with the Maker Center and adoption and foster care and celebrate recovery and our counseling and addiction care and loving those affected by special needs and, and even what we're seeing in the realm of education. Uh, we want it to provoke wonder in the hearts of people in our city. But it says all the believers were together. So we're, we're doing that a little bit differently right now in a different way. And they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So, so far in worship, we've talked, about, uh, we've talked about gathering around God's word. We've talked about encouraging one another. We've talked about communion and baptism and so forth. But giving is also a part of our worship. And one of the ways on Sunday mornings when we have gathered here that we continue our worship is by passing the offering plates and by giving. I wanna take just a second and ask you to continue. Will you continue your generosity even though we're not meeting here in person? I wanna ask you as your pastor, as a brother in Christ, as you continue your generosity, what we've learned is that about 50% of all of our giving actually comes in online and the other 50% comes in through our Sunday gatherings. And with us not being able to meet on Sundays, I wanna encourage you and let you know what our intentions are. Our intentions are to continue to do ministry in this church to love our people well. If there's ever been a time that our people have needed our benevolence fund, it is right now. Pastor Richard and his team, just to continue, first and foremost, we wanna prioritize the people in our church and then also as there's resources, be able to bless others in our community. So we're gonna to continue to do that as long as there's resources, which requires your generosity. But we also wanna to continue to, to work and serve through the Maker Center. Uh, with the, I saw some emails today about how the, the governor and others are asking for masks and how we're actually uh, gathering up people with talents in our, in our church through some of the resources we have at the Maker Center, potentially to make those masks. So we need to make sure we continue to bless the Maker Center. We wanna fund Union Mission and Mountain Mission and our missionary through FCA like we have been and missionaries all around the world, but it requires your generosity and mine. Sometime back, Sarah and I set up our giving online so that it just comes out automatically on Sundays. Uh, you can do that on the app. You can do that online. But we also wanna maintain a good testimony in our community. We're a large church and we have large goals and large vision based upon the budget that our church approved this summer. And so I would ask you, if you can give generously, give generously, but let us also, even out of our scarcity, be like the Macedonians who gave to the Lord even in their time of need. I promise you, the city will be better for it. The gospel will go farther for it. And, I, and let's do this together for the glory of God. One last area we see back, if you'll flip back to Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two in verse 47, it says that they continued to praise God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
there's creative ways bubbling up all around our church for you to praise the Lord. Uh, I've seen our children do it this week. Um, our kids have gotten online and watched their high school pastors and middle school pastors and children's pastors lead in worship. Uh, I saw Awana kids on different videos having a blast singing and dancing as Pastor Steve led them in worship. I'm seeing different playlists go around from our worship department, and many of you are sharing some of your favorite songs. I used to think that there were only two varieties of music styles and preferences in our church, but after this week, I think there's like a thousand different preferences in our church, which is a beautiful thing. But continue to praise the Lord. Sing with all of your heart. Worship together with those in your life and let's continue not just going to church, but let's continue being the church more than ever before. Well, number three, how does Jesus invite us to respond? Number three, taking time to rest and reset our lives. Taking time to rest and reset our lives. Have you been able to get any rest? yet through the quarantine? I hope you have. If you haven't, uh, that is my prayer for you, that you can find some time. I realize that depending on your job, maybe it's, uh, if you're in the healthcare profession, you probably haven't been resting much. Uh, if you got small kids at home, it may be difficult to find time to rest. But I am praying and I am sensing from the Holy Spirit that the Lord is inviting our church to learn how to rest as a church in a way that I know we haven't done uh, since I've been here. Uh, I hit the ground running over four years ago and we've gone hard for the gospel and for the city. Uh, but I'm sensing that the Lord is inviting us as a church to, to go back and instill some good rhythms of rest. And then coming out of this pandemic, what does the Lord want us to continue to do? And we're asking that. And what, was, what does the Lord want us not to continue to do. But God has built in us the need for community. When you think about the creation story, you've got God resting on the seventh day. And it doesn't mean that God was so tired, he was exhausted from creating the universe that he had to take a nap. But the word there is just simply that he ceased creating. God ceased creating. He created this world, and then since then, he has actively sustained everything that he's created. But these rhythms of rest were built in, even in the 10 commandments, you had the, the Sabbath commandment. And even though it's not repeated in the New Testament, it's not part of our new covenant walk with Jesus, certainly rest and the principles of taking a day a week doesn't have to be Saturday, certainly doesn't have to be Sunday, which wasn't the original Sabbath anyway, but just trying to take a day a week to rest, to rest our bodies and rest our hearts. Why would God do that? Why would, why would God want us to rest? Well, there's several reasons I'm gonna share, but something I didn't know until this week is you look at the Old Testament, many times the reasons that God sent pestilence, God sent disease to his people was often because, according to the minor prophets, was because they didn't practice rather regular rhythms of rest. God said, I want you to rest every seventh day. I want you to rest every seventh year. Every seventh year, they were to give their land and their animals a certain rest, living off the abundance of the previous six years. 
In the Old Testament, every 70th year was a year of jubilee. It was a, it was a big year where they did almost nothing but party and festival every 70 years. And these are rhythms that God put in place. But in the Old Testament, when they didn't practice rhythms of rest, God would often force them, either, either through illness or calamity, to experience rest, even if it wasn't something that they chose Now, we don't know the mind of the Lord and what God has in store for the coronavirus around the world. And I'm certainly not pretending to be a prophet, but I do believe that we can learn through this principles of rest that some of us have forgotten. Driving thousands of miles a month to haul children to three different sports at once. By having, committing ourselves to more boards than we should commit ourselves to and more community functions and and hardly even knowing our family by name, seldom gathering around the table for a conversation or to read the scriptures or to pray. Could God be inviting us to say no to some things even after this pandemic so that we might practice rhythms of rest? You can hear the heart of God in Exodus 23. Exodus 23 in verse 12, God tells us why he wants us to rest. He says, six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work so that your ox and your donkey may rest. And so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. God is concerned for our rest and our refreshment. Another reason is that he wants us to take time just to remember the good things he's done for us. Just to take time to remember the good things he's done for us. Deuteronomy chapter five and verse 12. Deuteronomy five twelve says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. He continues, on it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your animals, nor your foreigners residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Now, here's the main point, the main thought of this verse. Remember, remember, we could even say, so that you may remember that you were slaves in Egypt, And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Why in the New Testament would God want us? Again, doesn't have to be one day a week or whatever particular day, but why would God want us to take a day, a season each week to just to rest? I believe it's so we can remember how good he is to us. Ecclesiastes says, it's good for us to go to the house of feasting. It's good for us to remember the good things God has put into our life. Here's a verse that the Lord has really spoken to my heart about this week. And I can't get away from this verse. It's, it's Psalm 127 verses one and two. Now think about this with me. I discussed this with my children this week. This is one of the, the sins that I regularly commit by forgetting this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Now, for me as a pastor, this week I not only put my own house in there, but I put the church in there. Unless the Lord builds the church, the builders, the laborers labor in vain. 
unless the Lord watches over the city. Oh, how I love our city. I know you love our city. I want us to go for it. I want us to be for the gospel and for the city in as many ways as we can. But notice this, unless the Lord does it, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain, you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Think about what could happen if we would understand the principles of this verse and let God be God. Yes, we work hard and yes, we go for it, but recognizing that we're also human and within the, the limitations that God has given us as humans, we realize we're not Jesus. He's Jesus. And we're just simply called to wash dirty feet. One of the examples that comes to my mind is Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, you've got Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha were, were sisters and Jesus came over to their house. Most likely they were wealthy benefactors of the Lord Jesus. And so Mary and Martha invited Jesus into their house, Luke chapter 10. Mary was loving spending time with Jesus. But Martha, the Bible says in Luke 10, was very busy. She was encumbered. She was cumbered about with many things. Her heart, her body, her life was filled with responsibility. You can see Martha hustling and bustling around to make sure everything was just perfect for Jesus, making sure the food was right and the temperatures right. But Mary just simply sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to him teach. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 and verse 42, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. This is a choice Rest is a choice. We don't go on vacation unless we prioritize it. We don't invest for the future unless we prioritize it. And we won't rest and spend time in quiet silence and solitude with Jesus unless we prioritize it. Just like Mary chose it, God's calling us to choose it as well. Whatever that means for you, let's read, let's listen to these words of Jesus. Let these words wash over your soul from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. If, wherever you're at, if you, wanna, if you wanna bow your head, if you wanna close your eyes, we're not done, we're almost done, but let these words wash over your soul before we conclude today's message. Hear the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, make that happen in our hearts this week. Help us to learn through this pandemic. Amen. Well, just two other ways that Jesus invites us to respond they're there in your outline. They're there on the app. I'm gonna give you these final two ways before we're done. Number four, how does Jesus invite us to respond? By praying for the spiritual awakening of Jesus's church in Charleston. By praying for the spiritual awakening of Jesus's church right here in Charleston. If there's ever been a time in Charleston that the church of Jesus Christ needed revival, it's today. 
And we need not look very far. And I'm talking about Bible Center Church, but I'm also talking about our brothers and sisters, our our brother and sister churches around the city, uh, around the county, around this area. I believe it's safe for us to agree that Christians in our area need revival. Where we need to look is about four or five minutes on social media, especially if you look at the dialogue on places like Facebook and Twitter, You see people, even in our area, local Christians taking pot shots at one another, taking jabs at one another. And then when someone maybe posts something that's passive aggressive, 25 more people jump onto it and use it as an opportunity to to hurt another brother or sister in Christ or the church down the road or another ministry. And what we're learning from the book of Ephesians is that the sign of Christian maturity is unity. Jesus died to preserve the unity of the church, not just the little C church, not just this little church we call Bible Center, but the big church. Jesus died for it, for the unity of the church. And so one of the greatest evidences that maybe someone has gone to church for years, maybe they've led, maybe they've had great accolades, but one of the greatest signs of immaturity is that someone would use a a platform to use their words to divide Jesus's church. And so let's use this season as many of us are on social media far more than we were a week ago to pray for revival in the hearts of the Christians in Charleston, beginning in our own hearts. There's a story in the Old Testament that really stuck out to me this week in my Bible reading. And that's 2 Chronicles chapter 20. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you've got King Jehoshaphat and he learns that there's the enemy from across the Dead Sea has crossed the Dead Sea or gone around the Dead Sea and they are just on the banks on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Those of us who were in Israel some time ago remember the area of En Gedi. 2 Chronicles chapter 12 tells us they had gone around the Dead Sea and they were already at En Gedi. And from En Gedi, you can actually see into a distance the horizon of Jerusalem. So they weren't very far away. Jehoshaphat hears that the enemies weren't far away. And so he calls the people to prayer. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 3 and 4, alarmed, the king resolved to pray to the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek the Lord. And then it says, Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and he prayed this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, you are, not the, are you not the God who is in heaven? Power and might are in your hand. And then he says in verse 12, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but the, our eyes are on you. One way we can use our quarantine, one way we can make sure that we don't waste our quarantine is to use this season as a season of prayer. James chapter four and verse eight says, draw nigh to God or come near to God and he will come near you. I think this could be the theme verse for the coronavirus pandemic. Wash your hands. It's a verse we can remember. We're always being told, wash your hands. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
If you've got time, when you do have time, I have time, let's make time. Let's take a few minutes. Let's take a season to get alone with God, with our Bibles open, to pray to the Lord, to ask God to revive our hearts, and then to ask the Lord to revive the hearts of the church, Christians in Charleston. May we come together as the church for the glory of Christ and for the good of a city who desperately needs the gospel. Well, there's one more area we wanna see, one more response, and that's simply this. Number five, how does Jesus call us to respond? By remembering that resurrection through Jesus Christ has always been our only hope. By remembering that resurrection through Jesus Christ has always been our only hope. Should we pray for a vaccine? Absolutely. But let us also remember that unless Jesus returns, none of us are getting out of this alive. None of us. We're all terminal. As a matter of fact, uh, it's not a matter of if we die, but it's a matter of when we die, if Jesus tarries. If the coronavirus doesn't get us, something else is gonna get us. Cancer is gonna get us. Heart disease is gonna get us. Diabetes, it's gonna get us. Something, a, a car accident today is gonna get us. So we're all terminal. So with that understanding, even if we find a vaccine for every problem in life, we're still going to die. Jesus never promises health and wealth in this life. Certainly let us seek health. Bodily exercise profits, Paul writes to Timothy. Uh, he even told Timothy certain ways he could take care of his body. I feel God's invitation to take even better care of my body. Certainly that's something we can grow in. But I remember there was a, a dear saint, a lady that in Fairfax, Virginia, when my wife and I traveled before we had children, uh, there was a lady, we stayed in her home twice and she wanted to make sure anytime we're in the Fairfax area, we stay in her home. She was so healthy so healthy. She made cookies made out of some kind of seaweed grass. And I can promise you those cookies tasted just as bad as they sound. She had her house swept clean of anything, anything that she thought could hurt her, her husband, or her guests. We loved staying at her house for her, but we did not like sitting at her dinner table. And I could tell her husband didn't like sitting at her dinner table either. Well, her and her husband both, within just a matter of, of a couple of years, passed away from unrelated causes, but they, they, they still died. And I remember at that time thinking that no matter how healthy we may be, we're still going to die. Which is why Jesus says in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, though he die, he will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? The gospel story is a story of hope. It's this beautiful story that, that God has been writing for his glory in eternity past. The story that God creates. God created you and God created me. Just the way you are, just the way I am. God made us. But sin has broken us. Sin has broken our world. It's broken the church. It's broken us individually. We know we have these desires in our heart that are unexplainable, these sinful desires, unexplainable apart from the biblical story of sin. 
We've chosen to disobey God because we were born sinners. Sin has broken the world. Why does the world have a coronavirus pandemic? Is it because somebody pushed the wrong button? Well, no, it's most likely, it's just this continual result like natural disasters, like cancer. We live in a broken world. Romans 8 says the whole earth is groaning in travail because of sin. But Jesus saves. The good news of the gospel says that Jesus Christ came to this earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross in your place, in my place, We should have suffered all of the judgment of God, but instead Jesus suffered all the judgment of his father on the cross. He took the punishment for our sin. He died, he was buried. Three days later, Jesus rises from the grave. Jesus offers salvation. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He ascended into heaven and still through his spirit, through the church is, is calling out men and women and boys and girls to trust him as their savior. Jesus is transforming us. We're all learning very, very quickly in our homes that anybody who lives with us knows that we're still a work in progress But Jesus is transforming us day by day. And one day he's gonna restore all things. He's gonna make an earth, a new heaven and a new earth with no more pandemics and no more hurricanes and no more tornadoes and no no more death, no more crying. God's gonna restore. You know, one of the things I would love to see happen as a result of this crisis, and it is a crisis. One of the things I would love to see is I would love to see millions of men and women, boys and girls around the world be able to say, I trusted Jesus in the corona crisis. I trusted Jesus in the coronavirus pandemic. You see, it's the resurrection of Christ that gives hope in a time of death. It was the resurrection that caused Christians in the first few hundred years of Christianity to run into plague when everybody else was running out. Why did they do that? It was because they believed that even if they died, one day God would raise them from the dead. For over 1700 years in church history, there was the most common grave marker was written in Latin. And it was these words in English, I will rise. I will rise. No matter what you're afraid of in this season, no matter what you're anxious about, depressed about, if you know Jesus as your savior right there today in your home, if you put your faith in Christ, you too will be able to say that one day when Jesus makes all things new, I will rise. Here's what I'd like to do. I want us to invite everybody around the city, around the country or otherwise, wherever you're watching this broadcast, I'm gonna ask us to bow our heads and to close our eyes. And right there where you sit, I wanna invite you to receive Jesus Christ, not the church, not membership, not baptism. I want you to receive Christ. And so the Bible doesn't give us one set prayer to pray. But one guy in the book of Luke just simply said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, he left the temple justified. He left the temple saved. 
If Christ has birthed this faith in your heart and you say today, I believe, Pastor Matt, I believe, I believe in the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And I wanna be a follower of Jesus. I want him to begin to transform my life. I want Christ. Then you, let me invite you to pray these words with me right there in the comfort of your own home or wherever you're listening. Will you pray these words with me? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself, but I know you love me and sent Jesus to die for my sins. I believe he rose again the third day. I believe he lives today to save me. I ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life, to make me a Christian and begin to change me from the inside out. Help me to follow Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, if you've put your faith in Christ and the Lord has given you that faith to open your eyes and see this good news, then I wanna encourage you to let us know, reach out there on the website, through the app, give us a call, give me a call, give us, drop us a note, let us know so we can send you the resources you need to grow in Christ until we can all connect again as a church. God bless you, I love you. Let's close in prayer and ask the Lord to help us be people who make a difference in this pandemic. Dear God, help us again to be still and know that you are Lord. We trust you. Help us to band together in community, to care for those in need, to be creative in how we do church, how we worship, how we gather online, how we give online, God, I pray that you would help us to be a people who pray for revival in our city. And Lord, above all, help us to be a people who believe in the very core of our being in the resurrection. We look forward to our own one day in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.